Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you. What is, um, what's your favorite day of the week? Think about that for a moment. What's your favorite day of the week? I suppose that whatever day that is, it says a lot about you and your life and your schedule and so on and so forth. There have been many polls um, conducted asking Americans this very question, and the results are rather consistent across the board. Just beating out Friday for the top spot, 35% of those surveyed said that Saturday was their favorite day of the week. And I'm sure you can guess which day was the least favorite day of the week. To no surprise, 58% of people said it was Monday. (laughs) So what makes Friday and Saturday the fan favorites while Monday gathered only in 5% of the vote? It's the work week, of course, and that's perfectly understandable. I would look with suspicion on anyone who told me that Monday was their favorite day of the week, or with pity, things might not be all that great at home and they just can't wait to get back to work. Now, for the longest time, my favorite day of the week was Friday, obviously because the work week is over, but mainly because Friday was the day that new movies came out. Um, And movie going is a pastime in our family, and I really do long for the days of fresh popcorn, a perfectly carbonated Coke, and a time when Hollywood was still making good movies, but alas, they're not making good movies, and I have a baby now, so... The days of movie going are long gone. Um, well, what's, all my, what's my point in all this? Favorite day of the week. Well, it's, it's to see to it that as a church, our favorite day of the week becomes Sunday. Now, why? Not because we're all drones who joylessly check the right answer on the test. Yes, Sunday should be my favorite day. But because Sunday is the Lord's day. It's the day of the resurrection. It's the day of worship. It's the day of rest. And it's the day of delight. It's the best day of the week. Now, we've been trying to connect two things lately. That is worship and life. And that is to show that our life gathered as a church, this, and our life scattered as individuals and families go together. And this morning, what I want to show is how Sunday, the actual day itself, sets the tone for the rest of our week. It provides us with a new rhythm for life, not determined by the work week, the 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, but the gospel, a new rhythm for our life defined by the gospel. Now, we don't often talk about time as a part of our discipleship, except for the fact that we shouldn't waste time. But here, what we're trying to do is sanctify time. That is, we're trying to make it holy and to bring it obedience, to bring it into obedience, rather, to Christ. He is Lord, after all, even over time. So, I want to introduce you this morning to the Lord's Day and then give you three practices That is, three things that you can do as an individual, that you can do as a family, to make sure that the Lord's Day becomes a special and meaningful day for you. And that when implemented, will make it 
hopefully the best day of the week. However, so to get to the Lord's Day, we have to go through the Sabbath, right? The Old Testament Sabbath. That's what we'll do now. For the Jewish people, the Sabbath, that is Saturday, is the day of rest. Still to this day. It was instituted so many thousands of years ago. And still to this day, the Jewish people observe the Sabbath. Now, we will learn more about the Sabbath as we go along. But suffice to say, for us, the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. He is our Sabbath rest. As we just read, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath day, the apostle says. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So Jesus rested in the tomb on the Sabbath day, on Saturday. And the evangelists, the gospel writers, are very clear to highlight that detail. Jesus overcame sin and death, and he rested from his works on the seventh day. Just as God rested from his work on the seventh day in the very beginning. Jesus fulfills the Sabbath in his Sabbath rest. And then he rises from the dead on Sunday, the eighth day, the first day of the week. And quite naturally, in biblical numerology, eight is the number of new beginnings. Christ has brought the seventh day, the day of Sabbath, to its intended goal, removing burdens and granting rest. Thus, he gives the old creation a new beginning in his resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So thus, in a matter of years, the eighth day acquired a formal title by the church. Right? You could see how very quickly the day of the Lord's resurrection would become a very important day for the church, and it did. John received his revelation, he says, in the Spirit on the Lord's day, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. So very quickly then, the church moved from Sabbath observance to recenter its happenings around the resurrection day. Thus, the seventh day is completed, and the eighth day comes to occupy the pride of place as the new holy day. So with that quick background, a move from Sabbath to the Lord's Day, we can begin this morning. So I have three things for you, three things to put into practice on the Lord's Day. The first is worship. It's a day of worship. Second is rest. It's a day of rest. And three, delight. It's a day of delight. So the first of those three the habit or practice on the Lord's Day, is worship. Now, obviously, that includes our corporate worship, but even beyond that, it extends to the entire day. Now, as we noted, the Lord's Day and the Sabbath are not the same thing. However, there is a certain analogy between them. And the better that we understand the Sabbath, the more we can understand how the principles laid down there apply to us with the Lord's Day. And what we find is that common to both days, the Sabbath in the Old Covenant and the Lord's Day in the New Covenant, 
is that they are what we could call holy days. Meaning they are days that are set apart from the others as uniquely belonging to God. It's called the Lord's day. His day belongs to him. Now in the law, the Sabbath is specifically designated as holy. Exodus chapter 20 verse 8, the commandment reads, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Keep it holy. God has claimed it. It's a holy day, and our job is to keep it holy. So what does it mean that a specific day is regarded as holy? Well, in human terms, from our perspective, something is holy when it's been claimed by God. For instance, we've been talking quite a bit about the tabernacle lately. The the tent that was stationed at the center of Israel's camp The tabernacle is holy because it's claimed by God as his dwelling place on earth. And therefore, the tabernacle and everything associated with it, the priests, the people who would come to worship, the altars, the lampstand, the knives, the incense, and etc., are his, and therefore, they're holy. These are holy objects. This is a holy space. And holy things cannot be used for ordinary or profane purposes. So a priest serving in the tabernacle, he couldn't take a a pinch of holy incense and take it home and use it to perfume his house because it belonged to the Lord. It was set apart for a specific service. Same thing with a holy knife, which he would use to sacrifice and then butcher the animal. He couldn't take that home and then use it for household chores because it belonged to God. And to do that was to commit some sort of sacrilege. It was to cross a sacred boundary. So those things belong to God and therefore they're set apart for unique service. Now the Sabbath is time, a day that's claimed by God. So it's not to be spent on ordinary things because it belongs to him. It's protected time, and it's set apart for God's purposes. So the question is, why would God claim a day as his own? He gives us six days to work and to labor, at least in the Old Covenant, and then he claims the Sabbath day as belonging to him. Why would he do that? Well, the rationale for the Sabbath comes from Israel's experience in slavery. As slaves, worked to the bone by their taskmasters, owned by Pharaoh, Israel had no time for God. Their calendar and their days were eaten up by their work. Slaves don't get a day off. They work all day, every day, until they die. Slaves are subhuman. They're an item on a spreadsheet. And all that matters is the bottom line. And so when Moses and Aaron confront Pharaoh, and they bring God's request of time off from their labors to go serve him, Pharaoh responds, Exodus chapter 5, verse 4, Why do you draw the people away from their work? And then he commands, get back to your labors. 
You want to worship God? You can't because you have to work. There's more to do, more to be done. So forced labor, the unceasing demand for economic productivity. Remember, what were the Israelites building for Pharaoh? Storage cities so that he could accumulate more and more and build his empire. Forced labor forced God from their lives. And thus what God does is he institutes the Sabbath day, a day upon which no work can be done, as a barrier against the never-ending demands of the world. On this day, Pharaoh's orders to get back to your work fall on deaf ears. It's a day in the life of the nation of Israel for God and his purposes, and no profane activities can intervene, no matter how seemingly important or urgent. So interestingly, our problem is that we do not have enough time. The demands and the ultimatums of work life, the demands and ultimatums of home life, eat away at the minutes and the hours and the days and the months and the years until there is nothing left over for God and his service. Get to work. There's more to be done. Now, Jesus addresses this very thing when he compares the kingdom of God to a man throwing a banquet for his friends. When the time comes and all the preparations are made, he sends out his servant to welcome them in, to invite them. And how do they respond? One by one, by making excuses. I've bought a field, one of them says. So I got to go tend to that. Another says, I've bought a yoke, in, a yoke of oxen. And still another says, I've married a wife. These guests, and look at how mundane these things are. All right, there's no extraordinary things. It's just I've, I've got work to do. The guests were too busy. They would have liked to be there. It sounds like a good time, but other things got in the way, and so we've got to attend to those. So for us, it's a, it's a multi-day multi Netflix binge. It's another Saturday at the morning office. It's another catch-up day around the house. It's another soccer game on Sunday. It's another commitment after commitment after commitment in a life of speed and clutter. So the point here is, that one of the most dangerous and subtle threats to the spiritual life, to your relationship with God, is simply busyness. The clamor and demands of life in the world. And if those things cannot be kept at bay, they'll flood into our lives and over our lives, leaving us no time for the things that really matter. And for us in the new covenant, the Lord's day is designed to protect us from this. Like the Sabbath function in the old covenant, it sets a sacred boundary in time that the demands of the worlds cannot transgress. And it's for our good. The Lord would not have us to be slaves to the to-do list, to the frenetic pace of modern life. And rather than leave, leave it up to our abilities, right, our uh, uh, willpower 
to order our lives rightly, he claims Sunday as his day. It's protected time, and it's set apart for worship and rest and delight. It's a bit like, you know, when I take a day off that's reserved for my family, right? So I have a day to, like, get stuff done, and then there's a day where this is family time, and nothing's going to interrupt it because this is important. And if I don't devote my time to this, if I don't give my family my attention, I will neglect them. So this is a day where I nurture these relationships. And it's the same way the Lord claims Sunday to make space in our calendars and therefore our hearts for Him. So it's not simply a day off, right? We know how days off just turn into other work days. There's a difference between taking a day off and taking a day off and sanctifying it to the Lord. Now, what would this look like in practice? That we'd take a day and we'd sanctify it to God, meaning we would consecrate it to Him. We would dedicate a day to God's service. Well, there's a negative and then there's a positive. First, negatively, if you want to celebrate the Lord's Day, it looks like putting away profane things. Remember, something is holy when it's set apart to the Lord, when it's devoted to His use. And so that means that if the Lord's day is his day, it means that worldly things, distracting things, things that turn your heart away from God are to be put away on Sunday. Now, it's not that these things are bad, though some of them can be, nor that I'm trying to be legalistic and lay demands on you, though it can become that. Rather, the simple fact is there are certain activities that dole our heart toward God that just make us more worldly, right? And maybe not bad, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. They're just, they just don't set our mind on things above. Now, I can't say what those things are for you, right, in your family, in your life, and so on and so forth, but I certainly know what those things are for me. I don't feel any closer to God after spending an hour on YouTube. I'm so tired after work, and I just slump into my chair and, you know, watch whatever tennis highlight comes up. I don't feel refreshed after scrolling through social media half the day. I'm not more prone to give thanks after I catch up on the national news. So the first step in observing the Lord's day, right, in making this day something set apart for the Lord, is to identify what those things are, those things that drag us down, and just to put them away. So Sunday for us is going to be a day where the phone just doesn't enter the picture. Technology, not in the picture. Now, the second step is a positive one. It's the exact reverse. And it's to identify those things that promote worship and to pursue them. Again, this is different for every person. We're hardwired, each of us, to enjoy God in our own unique way. So what tunes my heart to worship, namely reading theology, is not going to do that for you, right? That would lead you the other way. So if it's Nature, if it's spending time in nature where you feel refreshed and near to God, spend time in nature. If it's time in silence, spend time in silence. If it's in conversation with other brothers and sisters in Christ, do that. The point is to find those things that sort of cultivate that nearness to the Lord and to do those on the Lord's day. The point is to spend a whole day or as much as possible in communion with Him. It's the Lord's Day where we make space in our lives to nurture the most important thing.
this matters. Now, the second practice of the Lord's Day is rest. Again, this is rooted in the Old Covenant, um, in the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath, all it means is, or all it is, is the Hebrew word Shabbat, and it just simply means to stop or to cease. For an entire day, from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, the entire nation of Israel, still to this day for those who practice, um, it shuts down. Things are shut down. All commerce, all work, all normal activity. Now, what's the rationale behind this? Now, we've already seen one. That's to give God time that is his own. But the other is simply to rest. When Moses reiterates the Sabbath commandment as the children of Israel are on the precipice of entering into the promised land, he gives them the rationale behind it. This is Deuteronomy 15, or 5.15. You shall remember, he says, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You were slaves. God redeemed you. And therefore, this day of rest is a day that you were supposed to observe. So Israel's rest on the Sabbath day was a commemoration of the rest given to them in the Exodus. God institutionalizes his own work into the calendar. That is, people would remember what he has done, and they would not forget. He has granted them rest in his work, and the last day of every week, the Jewish people were to enter into that rest. You were slaves, God has given you rest, now remember that. So rest, don't become slaves again, rest. So the Sabbath day is ordered towards salvation, to relish in it, right? to uh, take full enjoyment of it, that the people might experience the rest that God has accomplished for them and not simply know about it, right? It's not up here, but in here, they experience it in their lives. Now, we, we can see what the Sabbath became in Jesus' time, how a day that was intended for rest it actually became a day of burden, but in its original form, it was a beautiful thing. Former slaves who knew nothing but work, delighting in their freedom, resting in the God who has brought them rest. And now because Israel was given rest by God, the nation was to be a people that granted rest. On the Sabbath day, not only the natives, but the slaves and the foreigners, even the animal and the lands were supposed to be given rest. You weren't allowed to work the field. You weren't allowed to drive your animals. You weren't allowed to charge your servants. You were to take rest, and you were to give rest. And so we find in the law that the Sabbath day becomes a Sabbath principle. And it spreads out from the seventh day, and it fills all the nooks and crannies of Israel's life. So you'll find that servants are kept for six years, and then they're released on the seventh, a Sabbath year. The land was to be worked for six years, and it was to be given to recover on the seventh, a Sabbath year for the land. The land would be sold for seven cycles of seven years, and on the 50th year, a super Sabbath, it was returned to its original owners. 
The Sabbath was at the very heart of national law. Because God is a rest-giving God, therefore Israel, in their legislation, in their practice, is to be a rest-giving people. It creates a society free from domination. It's the anti-Egypt. Now, when Jesus heals on the Sabbath, the religious establishment are very offended because they think he's breaking the law. And they see his miracles, and they think, this is a form of work. This shouldn't be happening on the Sabbath day. On one occasion, the synagogue official rebuked Jesus after he healed a woman and everyone there. He said, there are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed, not on the Sabbath day. It's almost comical that he would do this, and it's certainly a foolish thing to do in the presence of Jesus because he responds, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his donkey or his ox from the stall and lead him away to water? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? So they accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, yet he's actually fulfilling it. He fulfills the Sabbath by giving rest. Eighteen long years this woman was bound by Satan, he says. This burden was laid upon her shoulders and she was bent over bearing it. And I've released her. This is what the Sabbath is all about. God gives rest and then we grant rest. Now, all this has a profound impact for us when it comes to the Lord's Day, which is our day of remembrance. It's a day that's set apart from the rest of the days to rest in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the Sabbath commemorated Israel's deliverance from Egypt. The Lord's Day commemorates our deliverance from sin and death and the devil. Jesus Christ has overcome the cosmic Pharaoh, Satan himself. He has triumphed over the true Egypt, which is the world. And he's overcome the deeper bondage, which is sin and death. And his finished work on our behalf, we have been granted rest from these terrible enemies. These terrible burdens that have been placed on our shoulders. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We have been given rest. And each Sunday, which is the day of Jesus' victory over these tyrant enemies, he commands us to remember this rest, to enter into the rest that his labors have earned for us. So on the Lord's Day, we're to set aside our burdens. And chiefly what that means is that we're to remember that salvation is not earned. It's not something we labor for. It's not the product of our toilsome works, but it's a free gift. It's a day to remember the freedom of grace. That it was for freedom, Galatians 5.1, that Christ set us free. So, as the Israelites before us, we are to Shabbat to stop or to cease on the Lord's day. Christ has borne our burdens, 
And we are to enter into that rest by resting, both physically and spiritually. So how can we do this? Let's talk about this because it's pretty complicated. First, let's talk spiritually. How do we enter into the rest that Christ has won for us? First, by forgetting and then by remembering. First, by remembering and believing the gospel. The Lord's Day should be a day on which the freedom of grace is the first and last word. It should be a day for all of us that's saturated by the good news. Where we remember that it's not by our efforts, it's not by our works, but that Christ has relieved us of our burdens, the guilt, the sin, the shame. He's freed you of it. And so second, following on the heels of that, it should be a day to forget the burdens and sins which weigh us down. The promise at the heart of the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 34, is this, I will remember their sins no more. I will remember their sins no more. So then why should we hold on to them and keep bearing burdens that have already been lifted? Sunday is a day to remember and to forget, to remember the good news, the grace of Christ, and to forget our sins, to leave those burdens behind. Now, joined to spiritual rest is this idea of physical rest. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. He says, tomorrow will care for itself. There's always something more to be done. You will never be caught up. Only God is caught up. And because God is caught up, we can rest. And so the Lord's time is holy time. and We should be jealous, jealous for it. To refuse as much as possible to make it a day of burden bearing. Now how we observe this is not an exact science. We don't have the sort of stipulations that are present in the Old Covenant. So the church has always tried to sort of create these principles to help us, to make provisions, because there are provisions. And what the church has said is that there's exceptions to the rule here, and what the church has sort of allowed for are works of necessity and works of mercy. So listen, worse than profaning the Lord's Day is not feeding your family. The simple and unfortunate fact is some people have to work on Sunday, and there's no other option. Myself and Jim are examples of that. The priest worked on the Sabbath day, and so pastors work on Sunday. The blue laws, right, in which we had time where Sunday was just, we're not working on this day, those are a thing of the past. And to provide, to work, some people have to work on Sunday. There are exceptions to the rule. So works of necessity, but also works of mercy, right? We shouldn't be pharisaical, like that one guy in the synagogue and say, there's six days to do your work. Why are you doing this when someone needs our help? Right? We, these works of mercy are very much in line with the tone of what the day is, a day of rest. So however, those are exceptions, but they don't nullify the rule. Right? They, they prove it. I want to be careful here not to be too lax about observation. Because the Lord's Day is really not a take-it-or-leave-it proposition. It's a command. It's his day. And the reality is that we have enough work as it is. It's to our benefit and our joy that we observe this day. It's not legalism. 
but it's obedience that opens up these pathways of freedom in our life. So on Sunday, we're to take rest as much as possible, and we're to give rest. That means it's also a day of mercy. As individuals, as families, because of what this day means, we should use it to seek opportunities to remove burdens on this day. Maybe that looks like speaking the word of forgiveness to your brother or sister who's weighed down by their sin, reminding them of the gospel, removing that burden from their shoulders. Maybe that looks like as much as in your power to remove the grinding burden of poverty from your neighbors, to show mercy to these people. Maybe it looks like if you're a business owner or you have people under your charge to free them from their labors on this day, not to work because it's a day of rest. The same idea, it's the same idea of the Old Covenant, that the Lord's Day would become a principle in our lives that would seep out into all that we do. As the Apostle Paul says, bear one another's burdens, remove burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So we have two things. It's a day of worship that we sanctify to the Lord. It's a day of rest where we put away our burdens, and it's a day of delight. And this is by far my favorite. The third practice of the Lord's day is delight. Under the Old Covenant, the Sabbath was also a memorial of creation. It was a memorial of God's rest on the seventh day. God completed all his works. He saw all that he had made, the scripture says, and he said, behold, it is very good. And then on the seventh day, God rested, meaning he took pleasure in all the good things that he had created. And for Israel, the Sabbath is a time to join in that pleasure, to raise its own amen to God's very good. Now, of course, when sin entered the world, it disrupted that very good. But the practice of Sabbath didn't go away. It remained in place despite what had happened as a remembrance of God's original intention and for creation, and it was an anticipation of what would come on some future day. So in a fallen world, what does Genesis 3 say? That men's work has become exceedingly toilsome, and that women's labor has also become exceedingly painful. In that world, the Sabbath is a reminder that it was not always so, that it wasn't like this. There was a time, a time that will come again when there will be peace and rest. So in the midst of all this not good, the Sabbath insisted that it was very good. So it was a day of indulgence and delight, even to this day. I don't know, maybe some of you have been a part of uh, a Jewish Sabbath, but a Jewish Sabbath begins with a big family meal at sundown on Friday evening. So their day begins with sundown and it ends at sundown. So as the sun goes down on Friday, there's a big family meal. It's typically the favorite, right? What everybody wants. And as the meal begins, the father recites a prayer which is called the Kiddush, if I'm pronouncing it right. And it simply means sanctification. So it's a prayer at the outset of the day that sanctifies it to God. 
It's a, it's a prayer where it's dedicated to God's purposes. And usually this takes place over a glass of wine. So they'll pray and then they'll share the glass of wine. And then there's more prayer. There's scriptural read, scripture reading. There's a candle lighting. And then typically the parents lay their hands on their children and they pronounce a blessing upon them. So it's supposed to be the, day, the Sabbath day, uh, a festive occasion where if but for the smallest moment, it seems that all is well in the world and that all is right and there's no corruption to be found. Right, uh, this past Sunday was Father's Day and we all went to my dad's and all our family was there and I just couldn't help but feeling overwhelmed by the goodness of that moment. All seemed right. All seemed well while we were celebrating and having a great time around a mill. That's what the Sabbath day was for the Jewish people. The family's joy and thanksgiving. Think of those moments in your life. They're a sign that all things are indeed very good. That all things are ultimately as God created them to be. Now, how does this relate to the Lord's day? Well, for Jews, again, the Sabbath is on the seventh day, commemorating creation. For Christians, the, Lord day, the Lord's day is on the eighth day, and it commemorates new creation. As we mentioned, Jesus rested in the tomb on the Sabbath day, and the old creation, broken down and burdened with sin, rested with him. It rested in him. Then on the seventh day, the first day of the week, Jesus rises victoriously, into new life and perpetual rest, and creation rises with him. It is a new creation. Jesus is the first fruits of the harvest to come. Old things have passed away, and new things have come. So quite obviously, the Lord's day is Sunday, because it's the day that he rose from the grave, and he entered into life eternal. So for us, the Lord's day is like a mini-Easter. Every Sunday is like a mini Easter at the beginning of every week. That is, it's a time of celebration and delight and thanksgiving. Why? Because this is the day that Jesus has risen from the dead. This is the day that all things were made new. So think of it in your life like a cheat day. All right, so someone who's on a strict diet, for whatever reason, usually has a cheat day or the demands are relaxed and they get to indulge a little or a lot. And similarly, on the Lord's Day, the normal humdrum of the world of sin and death recedes to the background. And new creation, what's been accomplished in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, comes to the fore. It's a time to inhabit the future, as it were, to leave behind the present age, that which is marred by sin and death, and to enter into the feast that is the kingdom. The Lord's day is a thin spot in time where the future kingdom bleeds into and across the boundary of our lives, rejoicing our hearts and our minds and our bodies. It's a time where Jesus' resurrection and the new creation is more real and more tangible than our fallenness, than our sin, and than death itself. So it's a day to remember new creation, what Jesus has done. And what does that call for? It calls for feasting. There are times on the calendar to fast. There are times to mourn our sin and the way things are in this world. But Sunday is not one of them. 
It's a day of joy and gladness. So what does that look like? Well, I would suggest for you, these are suggestions, something not too different from the Jewish practice of Sabbath. We're going to adopt this principle. So last night we went and to the grocery store and we got um, a meal that we're all happy with. We've got dessert and we're going to go home this evening and We'll say our own sort of sanctification prayer. We're going to read a psalm, and then we're going to feast. So share your favorite meal with your family. Invite your brothers and sisters from the church who don't have that. Break out your favorite dessert. Have a glass responsibly. Give thanks. Play board games. Turn up the music. Tell stories. Forget your burdens and worries. Because it's a day to make merry. It's the day of the resurrection. I can think of no better tool for discipleship in your family life than this rhythm of feasting on the Lord's day. I, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope Lydia will one day look back and say, why, why are Sundays so fun? Why is this such a great day in our family? <laughs> Daughter, very soft spot. <laughs> Um, and I could just tell her, because Jesus is risen. That's why. So, worship, rest, and delight. That's easy. That's not a burden. That's what the Lord wants for us, because that's what today is. And listen, if you worship on the Lord's day, you'll worship throughout the rest of the week. If you rest on the Lord's day, you'll rest throughout the rest of the week. And if you delight on the Lord's day, you will delight in the rest of the week. So I look forward to many Sabbath celebration, or, uh, Lord's Day celebrations with our church where we can do these things. And the Lord's table is the pinnacle of that, where we hear his word, and then he invites us to his table to partake of the bread of life and of drink that refreshes. So I invite you forward to come receive the elements, and I'll lead us in just a moment.